Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. So, my name is Nathan. For those of you who don't recognize me up here, I'm training to be a pastor here at Christ Community Church. Now, given that I work for the post office, it's really hard for me to be here on Saturdays and even most Sundays. Um, so I want to give a big shout out to my boss covering me this morning so that I could come in here and, and bring the word to you guys. Um, now, that being said, uh, we're going to continue through our study of the book of Proverbs. And I've been tasked with preaching on Proverbs 22.6, and I think Matt threw me this verse on purpose. Um, he knows I get pretty fired up about this topic, so if you would, open your Bibles or your Bibles app, Bible apps, and we'll read this. It's a quick verse, and we'll jump right into it. So, Proverbs 22.6 states, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is older, he will not depart from it. I also find it a little ironic that I have to preach on this because I arguably have the most honorary child in this church. And if you don't know who my child is, you know that she is Carter. And if you don't know who Carter is, she will let you know. And lucky for me, she's back there and she's not in here because if she was, she would be marching up the center aisle giving me a piece of her mind every step of the way. Now. Let it be known, as I preach this sermon, that I'm not talking down on anybody. Like Matt has said multiple times, it's Jesus and then everybody else. So I, I've stared at myself in the mirror and gave this sermon to myself every day for the past week, and I can assure you that it's, it's a rough one. It, it hurts. Now, nonetheless, if you know me very well, you know that I'm very passionate about this topic. And uh, so parents, buckle up, this one's going to sting. And I also want to follow up with this, that Kayla and I aren't model parents. Each family dynamic and, and each child is different, but the Bible lays a framework that we can follow to, to do family discipleship. See, when we first began our family, we didn't have a grasp on the concept of what family discipleship was. Um, not that Kayla and I are or gurus on it or anything, but this is a topic that I, and, and more so her, that we hyper-focused on when we was going to Liberty University to get our biblical degrees. Um, my wife likes to say, this is, this is the hill that I will die on. She's exceptionally passionate about this. And, and we all should be. It's very important to us as a church. It's very important to, to us as believers, and it's very important to God. And we can see that all throughout Scripture. And this verse really drives it home. So, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. They will not leave it. Well, that's, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, because I, I just want to hit you with some, with some facts. Now, I'm a, I'm a visual learner. I like to do art. I'm really good with numbers. But when you try to combine the two, it, it doesn't really work. So I was going to have some graphs thrown up on the screen for you, but I couldn't get that all figured out. So I put all the statistics in your bulletin, and I wanted you guys to have this so you could really look it over and see how serious this is. The first one, 
88% of children in evangelical homes leave the church by the age of 18. Evangelical homes means homes that where Christianity is, is the religion. They come to church. 88% of those teens leave the faith, leave the church. And the two biggest reasons for that, and they really don't come as a surprise, number one is intellectual doubt. They, they struggle with believing that the Bible is true. And number two is Christian hypocrisy, and not just within the church, but also within the home. Now, I, I will come back and touch on these throughout the sermon, but I want to really drive the point home, and we're going to move on to the next statistic here. 63% of teen Christians do not believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's not all, not all teens. That is specifically teen Christians. 63% of them don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 51% don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. 68% do not believe in the Trinity. And 33% of teens believe that, that the church won't have an impact on their life once they reach adulthood. Once they get out from under mom and dad's roof, they're, they're checking out. See, when we look at these numbers, we, at least I do, I think, where are we going wrong? What are we doing wrong? Furthermore, two-thirds of young Christians walk away from the faith while attending non-Christian universities. And that's not just teens, but that's young Christians, young adults. And a 2006 study shows that only 6% of professors acknowledge the Bible's inerrancy or, the, or that the Bible is without fault. And you might be thinking, well, 6% of all professors, if that's including Christian universities and secular universities, that's, that's not too bad. But some of you may also argue that, well, I'm sending my kid to a Christian school or they're going to a Christian university, they'll be fine. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but secularism has its grips on those Christian colleges as well. See, there, there are professors at Bible-believing colleges that don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe Jesus was the Son of God. They don't believe Jesus was divine. They believe that all religions lead to the same path, that you can follow whatever religion that you want, you'll still get to heaven. And I don't, I don't remember the school, but I remember Scott telling a story in passing that there was a, a president of a Christian university that went in and done a poll of his staff to see who of them believed in the Bible. And majority of them didn't. And he went through and fired every single one of them and started with a clean slate. But when we hear stories like that, you know, it kind of gives us concern. And we, we see right there that we can't rely on others to, to train our children. Now I'll hit you with one more statistic and then, then we'll continue to move on. 90% of high school age Christians that are highly active in church functions stop practicing the faith by the time they're sophomores in college. Now see, Matt, Scott, Megan, Kayla, and I, we've all thrown around this statistic for a few years now that seven out of 10 kids leave the faith by the time they reach college. But the research is showing that number is significantly higher. And as you can see, the dates on these studies, they're, they're 10 to 20 years old. And I would argue that the numbers are even higher than what they're saying in these studies. Now, one, one quote that I read on Jay Warner Wallace's website 
Um, and if you guys don't know who Jay Warner Wallace is, he's, he's been here at Christ Community a few times. He is a cold case detective that was once a staunch atheist, a very firm atheist, and he used his cold case detective skills to examine the Gospels to try to disprove Christianity. And he ended up coming to the faith. But one quote that I read on, on his website, because he's, he's very passionate about training children up to be disciples, he has all these statistics listed, and I just, I just pulled a few. He's, he's got a whole page full of them. But one quote that I read, states that church youth are already lost in their hearts and minds in elementary, middle, and high school, not college. See, we look at these numbers and we believe, we're led to believe that once they hit college, somebody flips a switch on them and, and they just check out. But in reality, it's, it's a progression. Now, I've, I've been volunteering here in the, in the kids' ministry at Christ Community Church almost as long as I've been attending. And that's we're getting close to, what, Kayla, 10 years now, give or take. Um, and I've dealt with some pretty troubling issues. I've done everything from changing diapers in the nursery to going upstairs and teaching the older kids about some pretty deep, dark stuff. Um, and my wife can attest that I've, I've laid awake at night, I've shed many tears in concern for our children, concern for their salvation. Um, this is, this is something, like I said, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about. Um, now, we have great volunteers here at Christ Community Church, and I appreciate each and every one of you that's stepped up to the plate to help in the kids' ministry, because it's not easy. I mean, most of the time, it feels like we're trying to herd cats. So, you know, we get, we get 25 to 35 minutes to get a lesson into these kids, and when I'm teaching, I feel like I'm running a marathon, because I want to pack so much Jesus into their brains in the hopes that something will stick. Now, I want to talk about this too. Uh, last night I had some concerns that I was up here drinking something I shouldn't be drinking. Um, this is just water. Uh, Scott gave me the, the sniff test when I walked in this morning, so I assure everybody this is just water. Last night, everybody, that was just water. It's just water in a can. Now, <laughs> Now, here's where things are going to get, start to get a little ugly. You know, I promised you that this sermon was going to sting, and the statistics was just the, just the start of it. Now, when I wrote this sermon, I, wasn't, I didn't have anyone in particular in mind. I just know that this is a, a broad topic. But there's, there's an old saying that goes, when you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. So if you feel like I'm, I'm talking about you, maybe, maybe I am, and maybe by the end of this sermon you can do some self-reflecting. Now, I know that there are parents here at Christ Community Church that may not be believers, but they bring their kids to church because they think it's good for them. They think the church will teach them morals, that, that they need to come to church. And I know that there are parents here that say, well, I bring my, church, or my kids to church every Sunday. I'm doing what Proverbs 22.6 is saying. I, I got it covered, Nathan. Well, I'll tell you right now. If you think 30 minutes a week is enough, you're wrong. If that is the only time that our children are being spiritually fed is 30 minutes on Sunday, it should come as no surprise that they're spiritually starved by the time they reach age 18. From birth to 18, there are roughly 936 Sundays. 
We get 936 Sundays with your kids and only 30 minutes of those Sundays to pour Jesus into them. But you, the parent or guardian, you have 6,570 days. So why are we as parents so adamant that the church has our kids' salvation handled? Why are we as Christians relying so heavily on the church for our children's spiritual upbringing? And why do we feel it's okay to hand our responsibility as parents over to the church? Like I said, I got, I got 30 minutes when I'm back teaching the kids. And, and in that 30 minutes, I pour as much as I can because I don't know how much Jesus they see outside of the walls of the church. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying all the parents are a bunch of hellions when they're pulling out of the parking lot and Jesus goes out the back window as they're leaving, but I know how easy it is to lose sight of Christ through, throughout the week, especially with our children, because I'm a chief among sinners. Right? I know that we're all going a million miles a minute. You know, our kids, they've got school, they've got practice, they've got this, they've got that. You know, we've got work, we've got school, we've got a million things going on all at once. And Jesus, scripture, studying the Bible, prayer, worship, fellowship, it all gets pushed to the back burner. And sometimes it's even taken off the stove and, and shoved to the back of the fridge and forgotten about. And see, when, when I was growing up, my mama Ruby, she made sure that all of her kids, all of her grandkids, all of her great-grandkids were in church every Sunday. She never forced us, she never enticed us, but she made sure that we went. And Lord, love her for doing that. Because I don't know how much all of us kids saw Jesus outside of, outside of her home and outside of the church. And she just thought if she could get us in the door that something would stick. And, and for me, it did, and I'm ever so grateful for that. But that's not enough. And not to dog on her, but it, it's, it's not enough. But she thought she was doing as much as she could at the time. But it's not enough. And not to rip on my parents, and I, I really do have the best parents in the world, but Jesus wasn't really a topic in our home. Now, my parents are believers, but the concept of family discipleship wasn't there. And once again, I'm not faulting my parents or my grandparents because family discipleship wasn't within their homes when they were younger. Because, and I can't fault them for that because the, the idea of family discipleship is, is quite frankly rather new to me. See, I, I used to think that, I used to be in the same mindset, I bring my daughter to church and she'll be an angel. Let's all, let's all take a minute and laugh because anyone who knows Carter, she is super smart, super sweet, but good Lord is she full of sass and she'll test the Jesus in each and every one of us. But it's my responsibility to train her right so that when she is older, she doesn't stray. It's, it's not the church's responsibility. Now, I'm not, I'm not throwing the church under the bus. The church is a great tool. My wife has just recently taken over the children's ministry, and, and she's, like I said, very passionate about this topic herself. And she's really taken it upon herself to change the game and, and step up our game and change how it's played completely. Um, she's actually modeling our lesson series now over something that Jay Warner Wallace does, where 
we take the 30 to 40 minutes that we have with the kids and we send them home with stuff and we implore the parents to, to buy this book so that they can train their children over the course of the week. So when the children come back the next week, they've learned all, this, all the past week, they've learned more about their lesson that they had at church and they're ready to come in on week number two to learn and study and grow. But we go back and we look at these numbers, we look at these statistics. We see how many kids are leaving the faith. It's heartbreaking. And we as a church, we're taking small, gradual steps to, to get back on track, but what do we do as parents? Well, we need to look at two things, really, really three things. We need to look at the two reasons as to why the, the two biggest reasons why children are leaving the faith and what Proverbs 22.6 is saying. Now, like I said, the first reason that children who have grown up in the church leave the faith is because they've not been equipped with the facts. They've not been equipped with the tools to show that we can read the Bible and we can see what Jesus said and, and what Jesus done and what he will do to be true. They're not being fed apologetics. And apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means in defense of. They don't know how to defend their faith. See, they just parrot what they've been taught, but they don't have the foundation for what they've been taught to, to be strong. So when the first time a, a straw man argument comes in that makes them question their faith, they, they just crumble. They don't have that foundation. They don't know how to defend themselves. And the second reason is hypocrisy. Now, kids pay attention and observe a lot more than what we give them credit for. Um, if you're a parent, you understand exactly what I'm saying. You can tell your kid to do something a hundred times over and they not listen, but man, as soon as you say something you shouldn't, they're repeating it, right? They, they pick up on that. They observe way more than we give, it give them credit for. But they can see hypocrisy within the church. They can see hypocrisy within the home. And let's be honest, you know, we're all, we're all hypocrites. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We all need the same grace that Jesus extends to everybody. But when we come to church, we tend to put on this happy face like we have it all together. And they see that. And then they see us when we leave. They see us break. They see us crack. They see us in a way, in a light, that, that the public doesn't see us, that we don't let our church family see us. They see us lose every ounce of Christ as we're driving through New Boston and someone's going 10 miles under the speed limit in the left lane. And I'm not going to mention any names, but thank the Lord his son's a little bit older and he knows better than to do that. And he's not here this weekend, so I can, I can rip on him a little bit. But our, our kids see that. They see that. They see us not own up to our mistakes. They see us being hypocritical as parents. They see us being hypocritical as a church. And as they get older, it drives a wedge between them and us and them and God. Now that I've berated you with some facts and, and crushed you with some hard truths, when we go back and read over 22.6 and we look at these numbers, it almost strikes us with guilt. It does me. You know, I've been teaching in the children's ministry for close to 10 years now. And I see kids leaving the faith, and I see these numbers, and I'm like, man, where, where did I go wrong? I've had eight years with, with Carter, and I've not done the best. 
I read that verse and I'm, I'm filled with guilt. And I know that there are a lot of great families in this church, some of which who have raised their children or are raising their children on what they believe to be the right path and have, have done a genuinely good job at it. But now that their children are growing older or they have grown, they're going off the rails. Or how Scott likes to put it, they're going to hell on a skateboard. So you begin to feel this guilt welling up inside when our, our kids don't turn out like we hoped. You know, we've, we've done what we think we should. We've tried to set them right, but something's just not clicking in there. They're checking out, they're leaving, they're running straight towards destruction. And then we begin to ask ourselves, where, where did we go wrong? Where did we mess up? Or you just jump to the conclusion, you know, we know that the Bible is full of promises and we read this and we think, God, I've I done what is right. I took my kid to church every Sunday. I tried to raise him right. I followed the rules. Why, why did you break this promise to me? I've done what you told me, but, but my, my kid's not a believer. My kid doesn't care. My kid's in, in prison. My kid's this. My kid's that. Why did you break this promise to me? But we know God doesn't break his promises, but in those moments of grief and despair, when we're so heartbroken over our own children, and in tandem with our, our sinful nature, we come to those conclusions. And when we drive ourselves into that hole, we, we put ourselves in, in that corner, we start to become jaded towards God. And we start to become jaded towards the church. And then we ourselves, we, we check out and we leave. But it's, it's really important that we take a moment to really understand what Proverbs 22.6 is saying. See, this verse is actually more so a warning rather than a promise. And, and let me explain. See, when, when translating the Hebrew to English, the word right or should is added, the right path or the way he should go. Now, this is done to aid in translation, but this can cause some issues. See, the, the English translation almost pushes the blame on the parents. And I'm not faulting the English translation. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's a great thing. But we all know that we have to read the Bible in which the context it was written for the audience it was written and then understand it in that way. See, we know contextually that Proverbs um, has, the, has the young man continually accountable for his own actions. So it's not so much that this one particular verse all of a sudden turns around and puts the blame on the parents. We examine, when we examine the verse in Hebrew, it actually reads more like this. Start a youth out on his way, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. Now, did, did you catch it? I'll, I'll read it one more time. It's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's a drastic change in what's actually being said. Start a youth out on his way, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. Let me put it like this. If you let a child have their way when they're younger, they will expect to have their way when they're older. Does that make sense? We all know that's not how the world works. But when we instill that into our kids, when they can have whatever they want, whenever they want it when they're younger, they will expect that when they're older. And when they can't have their way, they'll run towards destruction. We all know that, that that's not how the world works. Proverbs 22.6 is a warning for us as parents, not a promise. 
It's our job as parents to correct our children's sinful behavior to a more Christ-like behavior before bad habits take root and they really start to grow. A child left to their, their own devices will destroy themselves. And every parent knows this is true, especially when you have younger children. You know, when it's mid-afternoon and you're sitting on the couch and things are quieting down and you get that little bit of tranquility and then the silence hits you like a Mack truck because you know chaos is unfolding in the next room and you walk in and your kid's painting all over the walls with fingernail polish? Is that, or is that just at my house? <laughs> but we've, we've all been there. We know that scripture teaches us that we're sinful in nature and unless that nature is broken and mended through tough love and grace, we'll drive ourselves to our own destruction. See, in this book that I've been reading in preparation for this sermon titled Exalting Jesus in Proverbs, there's a quote that states, the parental task is to intervene before folly sets in and our children walk off toward hell. And I think that's really the crux of it. I think that's the main point of 22.6, right? We need to intervene. We need to train our children well before that sinful nature really gets a grip on them and they just run rampant. We know that leaving a child to make their own decisions is foolish. We know that leaving teens of the opposite sex alone is foolish. We know that when we just give up and we're at our wits end and we let the toddler run the house, the house will probably be burnt to the ground by the end of the day. We know that behavior is foolish. Therefore, we must heed the warning that is Proverbs 22.6. So what, what does that mean? Well, we, we can't will our kids into the kingdom by sending them to church once a week any more than we can scare the hell out of somebody and expect genuine growth, genuine spiritual growth. So we, we can't will them into the kingdom, but we have a great responsibility to our kids. Now, to quote Charles Spurgeon, I think this, I, I've said this quote before when I've been up here preaching, and I think it's very important here. He states, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies, and if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Meaning that we should be using every moment up into our dying breath in an attempt to bring them home. See, Proverbs 22.6 demonstrates that our kids' greatest need is the good news about Jesus. That Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, and that he willingly went to the cross as an innocent man, both man and God, to suffer the wrath of God for all sins of those who believe in him so that we may not be judged by our, our life, but we're judged by his life. And to prove that our sin was not too much to bear, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, proving that he defeated sin, that we've been washed clean, and that we've been reconciled to God. And we know that scripture teaches us that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, and we know that Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he will bring with him a new heavens and new earth. But until then, we as Christians have been tasked to make disciples of all nations. And parents, we have those that need disciple right under our own roof. Through tough love 
through discipline, through grace and mercy like we've been shown on the cross, we are to train our children in what it means to be disciples. Now, discipline doesn't mean just being met with punishment, but that is an opportunity to have a gospel-centered conversation with our children. So what, what does that look like? And I will say this, when I was younger, I, f- I feared getting a spanking. And buddy, I got a few. Despite what my mom and dad will tell you, I, I got a few, I remember them well. And as I got older, my dad's temper in response to me acting up would strike the fear of God into you. And it wasn't just me, all my buddies that came to my house, and, and Justin can attest that you don't act up at Nathan's house because Bob will, Bob will light you up. And, and when I got older into my teens, the thought of disappointing my parents kept me out of most trouble. And I will say, I, I, was, I was pretty spoiled, but despite all that, my parents done a great job of disciplining me. Now, I might be a little biased in saying that, but I think, I think they've done a pretty good job. But even in their discipline, which kept me on the straight and narrow, especially when you look at all the guys that I hung around with, I was, I was the good kid, but it still lacked focusing on Christ. Now, when it, when it comes to Carter, my daughter, the same tactics my parents used on me and, and how their parents disciplined them don't quite work the same. See, each child is different. And parents, it's easy to discipline your kids in the same way that you were disciplined. Sometimes it works. It worked with me. But sometimes you become the bad guy and it becomes worse as they get older. It drives that wedge between you and your child as they get older. So take a step back. Examine each of your children individually. With Carter, spankings and shouting, they don't work. With her, we have to isolate her. We have to calm her down. We have to explain to her what she has done wrong and why, and then we issue out discipline, whether it be taking away her iPad or or grounding her from toys or not letting her do something that she wants to do. And when she acts out while she's grounded from those things, we extend those times even longer to reinforce why she's being punished and why she's being disciplined. Now we see much better results with her when we work with her and discipline her in a way that's against the status quo, against the way that most of us have been disciplined growing up. Now I'm not saying I'm against the way that we've been disciplined, but I think we have to really examine what really works with our children, because with her it wasn't working. See, we see much better results out of her when we work with her. And we follow it up with explaining that the way she is acting is, is sinful. And it's not just hurting us as parents, but it's sinning against God. And that allows us to open up a discussion about God, grace, and, and his forgiveness. We always drive home the, the idea that we may get really frustrated in, in some of the things that she does or she says or the way that she acts, but we still love her unconditionally, just as Jesus unconditionally loves us. We as parents, we need to steer away from this idea of, of moralism in favor of gospel-centered discipline. When we begin to put God in the right place as the, in the forefront of our lives and the forefront of our children's lives, everything else will fall into place. You may argue, well, I want my kid to have good manners. I want my kid to have good morals. I want them to be on the straight and narrow. Well, that's fine. I, I think we all do. But when you make that the focus and not God the focus, it's going to crumble. But when you make God the focus, everything else will fall into place. When he's at the center point, everything else will fall into place. And it's also important to note that when you're disciplining your child, you come from a place of understanding. 
Show them that, you know, whatever the, 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 root may, the root problem may be, whether it be selfishness, envy, pride, anger, whatever, whatever the case may be, approach it understanding. Know where they're coming from. But always come back to forgiveness. Come back forgiveness for the, to forgiveness for them as Jesus has forgiven us. See, we're to imitate Christ. We're to lead by example. So as they grow older, the discipline no longer puts us in the place of being the bad guy, but puts us in a place of respect. When they get older, they'll see that, you know, mom and dad wasn't just trying to keep me from having fun. Mom and dad was doing this because they knew what was best. They wanted to see me excel in life. They wanted to see me come to Christ. They wanted to see me do well. They weren't doing it to be mean. They weren't doing it to be hateful. They weren't doing it to stifle me, but to, to grow me up. And with that, we have to be, be real with ourselves. I'd argue that everyone in this church is guilty of being a hypocrite. And last night I said, I think everyone's guilty of that except for Ralph. And then Ralph got a little fired up, so even Ralph's a little guilty of that. But when, when we find ourselves in those moments, we have to admit our mistakes, especially to our children especially when they're around. This will leave a lasting impression on them. They see mom and dad owning up to it. And lucky for me, um, Carter likes to call mine out. There's, a, there's nothing like, you know, doing something you shouldn't be doing or getting angry about something you shouldn't really be angry about. And then you have an eight-year-old with a condescending tone in the background going, Daddy? Now, she catches me quite often, and, and I, am, I am very thankful for that because she does keep me in check. But it's very important that I acknowledge to her that I was wrong in those moments. What I said wasn't right. How I acted wasn't right. That's not very Christ-like. See, this isn't a sign of weakness, but it shows that we are just as broken, and we need just as much grace and forgiveness that God offers as they do. Now, I know that there are parents here with kids of all ages. Many of you have, have children that are adults now, and maybe they don't know Jesus as their Savior. Maybe they are on a, on a path of destruction, and you feel like, wow, I've really, I've really blew it. I didn't do what I, what I should have done. I didn't do as much as I could. I thought I was doing everything right, but it, it didn't work. And they feel like a lost cause or... You know, some days they feel like a lost cause, and now we got Nathan up here just rubbing salt in the wound and really, really making it worse. Well, like I said, you know, Kayla and I aren't, aren't the gurus at this by any means, and I'm a young parent myself. I'm only 30 years old. I lack a lot of life wisdom. But hear me out. It's, it's not too late. It's never too late for the gospel to change somebody's life. See, we might think that our kids are too far gone. But then we look at a great example in the Bible was Paul. Paul was going around killing Christians. And God knocked him to the ground and said, Paul, what are you doing? Get up and follow me. It's not too late. It's never too late. Now, some of us, we may have burnt bridges with our kids, and, and they may have checked out. And they, they don't want anything to do with us. So maybe you need to do some self-reflecting. Admit your mistakes. Confess your sins in parenting to your children. 
your appeal to seek forgiveness from them and, and your confidence in the mercy of God can go a long way. Through the work of the, the gospel and healing and transformation can begin. When we swallow our pride and admit our mistakes and extend that olive branch and attempt to make that opportunity to share the gospel with them with genuine affection, things can change. Now, I don't want to be another bearer of bad news, but not all of our children will come to Christ, and that's a, that's a horrible thought. But we've got to go back, and we've got to look at what Charles Spurgeon said. We need to make every moment count. We need to make every moment count. Use every opportunity to share the gospel with our children in the hopes that something will stick. Proverbs 22.6 should not strike us with guilt. Even those of us who have, have children that are grown. But it should make us extremely vigilant. See, we're on a rescue mission. The great commission to make disciples of all people, and there's no reason we can't start in our own home. We should be using every opportunity to disciple our children because their salvation is at stake. We, we can't expect the, the church to accomplish what we as parents are expected to do. See, we're to graciously correct our children, to honor God, to train them up, to train them to be disciples, to show them how to react when our sinful nature rears its ugly head. We're to show them how to put God at the center of our lives above all things. And Lord willing, with the tools that we are trying to provide as a church to the families here, through the children's ministry, through verse-by-verse -verse preaching, through apologetics, through Bible studies, through growth groups, whatever. We will see a reverse in these statistics. Now, some of the parents may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not that educated. I struggle myself. Well, come talk to Kayla. Come talk to me. Come talk to Matt, Megan, Scott, Alice Kay. We will help you. We want to help you. We want to train you so that you may train your children. We can raise the next generation up in this church ready to face the world confidently and boldly in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's going to take time. It's not going to be easy. But it's what we're called to do as parents, and it's what we're called to do as a church. Because I know there are people here that don't have children, but we are Christ's community church. We are a community. We are a family. And it takes a village to raise a child. So, Lord willing, we will see the next generation come up and we will reverse these statistics and I pray that God blesses this church in that. Christ Community Church, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we look at the statistics in this bulletin and we are, it, it's crippling, it's heartbreaking. And we, we look at that and we think, where do we go wrong? Or we see our kids not turning out the way that we hoped, and we think, God, where did we go wrong? But God, you've given us Proverbs 22.6 as a warning that 
We need to step up our game. We need to change how we approach parenting. And even those of us that have children that are grown, it's not too late. The, the wondrous works that are, that are done through the power of the gospel is unimaginable to us. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this congregation and let them grow in knowledge of you so that they may train the next generation up to be bold believers in you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the children's ministry and, and the new tactics that we're using to train our children up. And I pray, God, that you'll, you'll give us the tools and the means to do these things. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Now, thank you, Christ Community Church, for listening to me. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, so I got you out of here in plenty of time to get whatever you need. <laughs> um, so let's go Bengals, and if Gary can root for the Bengals, there's hope for everybody. All right? Thank you, guys. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.